Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. is going on everybody um i occasionally throw out little polls on twitter just to kind of get a feeler for what everybody's kind of wanting to hear from me um (laughs) i know i'm a relatively small voice here in the liberty sphere but i'm very grateful to be a part of it nonetheless um so i threw up a poll asking about green energy inefficiency a health related topic or um basics on automotive so um a lot of people voted for the basics on automotive. So um, to give a little bit of background on myself, which um, in case anybody hasn't listened or heard me talk about this, um, my family has been um, all business owners in the automotive field for the last three generations prior to me. Um, I perhaps will be the fourth generation. If not, um, I've been an automotive mechanic for about 10 years now. Um, I started out at um, my father's shop in my 10th grade year i was 17 years old um (laughs) i have plenty of stories from you know 10 years of fixing cars um one of the things i could very very well remember was being outside on a 90 degree humid day doing a tune-up which is where you replace all the spark plugs and wires on one of like the e350 kind of like ford vans 
Um, they also had these old Savannah vans from GM, and I think Dodge had theirs. I can't remember what they were called. But um, they have what's called a dog box in there, which is this giant box that kind of covers the engine. And there's like little bolts and stuff on there and maybe like little clips. You take those off and then you can get access to the engine inside of the vehicle. Well, the other thing about the inside of these vehicles, typically they're very, very well insulated and there's tons of like shag carpet and stuff. So picture a 90 degree humid day um, in, excuse me, Southwestern Pennsylvania and it is just disgusting. And you open the door and this vehicle is blazing freaking hot. And I had a whole ton of hair, a lot more than I have now. And typically, you know, you won't really see it because I wear hats a lot. <laughs> you pull the dog box off this freaking thing and you're just dripping sweat going into this damn car to pull out spark plugs off a blazing hot engine. And uh, yeah, it's just a miserable experience. So that's kind of how I started and got birthed into the field. From there, um, I started working at a small dealership, um, a small Chevrolet dealership right up the road from my dad's shop, um, literally making minimum wage in 2013. It's absolutely insane to me that this is, you know, going on 10 years ago at this point. Um, yes, I was working for a vehicle dealership making literal minimum wage. I worked at McDonald's for about a year and a half prior to that, and I made the same amount of money working in the dealership. Um, I don't want to go on too long of a tangent here, but this is kind of what makes me grateful for everything that I have now and for the money that I make now is that um, I had to work very, very hard to get to where I am and to make the money that I make now. Um, it was not just I graduated college and, you know, was born making a hundred grand a year and I don't make a hundred grand a year, but um, you, you get the point. I make better money than I did back then, but man, I fought tooth, fang and claw. I mean, I was told you're not paid to do, you're paid to think you show up on time. You do what I tell you to do, whatever I got into work every day. And if I was late, if I was on my phone, if I wasn't, if I didn't have a broom in my hand when there was nothing going on, I got my ass handed to me. Um, that's just the way I grew, grew up. Um, you know, being an 18 year old kid working the Chevy dealer. And honestly, I'm grateful for that experience. And I think about it all the time. And I wish that a lot more people my age kind of had a similar work experience. So they would um, have a little bit more appreciation for what they have and for the money they're making. Um, long side tangent, but that's just to give a little bit of background. Um, after Nick Chevrolet, I graduated from college or um, I graduated from high school and I went to college out in um, Cleveland at Ohio Tech. And um, absolutely loved it there. I did graduate top of my class, essentially, 95% um, average. I only missed a half day in 18 months. And I had all my automotive service excellence cert um, certifications, which meant that I was through a third party considered a master automobile technician. Um, I actually just renewed. I wish I would have brought up the paper with me so I could show um, everybody here. But um, basically, it's just a third party testing that will determine that you are a master automobile technician. I was the only one out of 105 students to graduate with that certification. So um, it was very, very hard. People, you know, bust my balls saying that I'm just a test taker and I'm good on, on the books, but I failed those tests. I failed those tests plenty of times. I spent hundreds of dollars taking these tests over and over and over and over again so that I could pass them and be a master certified technician. Um, I've spent hundreds of hours in classrooms for General Motors vehicles. Um, I've torn down $100,000 Escalades, um, $90,000 Yukons, and had camshafts out of them, which we'll explain what that is a little bit later. 
Um, I've had the entire interior ripped out of vehicles. You name it on a General Motors vehicle, more than likely I've probably done it. Just throughout the course of 10 years, you get a lot of experience doing these things over and over and over again. In fact, right now, I literally have a drivetrain, an engine transmission frame, axles, steering gear, the whole front end of a vehicle, everything that drives a vehicle on the ground in my shop right now and replacing an engine because an oil control ring had broke on a piston, causing the engine to have catastrophic failure, you know, deeming it necessary of replacement. Um, sorry to keep going on tangents here, but I just want to kind of give everybody a little bit of background as to why I feel I'm qualified to talk about this stuff. Um, I went to Votech school when I was in high school on this stuff as well. And once again, I've worked 10 hours a day for the last um, seven or eight years um, working on cars every single day. My buddy here misses me. <laughs> and for everybody that's not watching, I've, I've been sitting here scratching uh, my dog Axton's head ever since I sat down to talk. Uh, I, I always joke he's my most featured guest on the podcast. So um, anyways, kind of continuing on here. Um, I want to explain two concepts to people and do a little share screen here just so everybody can see. Um, we are going to talk about, uh, let me make sure I got this, um, what moves the vehicle. So kind of when you turn the key in your ignition and you start rocking and rolling, you know, put in D for dumb or shift it to first gear. I know not many people drive a manual vehicle, um, kind of how that all happens and you know how it works. And then we will also break down why do we have to do maintenance on a vehicle? Why do I have this oil change light? Why does it cost so much to dump oil into my freaking car? Why do I have to replace my tires? Why do I have to replace my brakes? We'll explain some of that. And um, if anybody has any questions, feel free to reach out to me. Um, like I said, I'd like to believe them pretty knowledgeable on this stuff just from 10 years of experience and um, doing hundreds of hours of training on everything automotive related. So um, without further ado, let's uh, keep rocking and rolling here. So, um, your vehicle is driven by the engine, right? So right here, we have a picture of an engine. Here's your valve cover. It's a V12 and a Porsche. So um, when you hear V or like V8, inline four, straight six, um, basically this is the configuration of the engine. So look at this engine right here. You can see the spark plug wires and you can count one, two, three, four, five, six. And then on the other side, it's the same deal. So the reason why it's called a V12 is because there's 12 cylinders and it's shaped like a V, right? So if you were to look at the pistons, right? Right here, this is an example of a dual overhead engine. And this actually does a really good job of uh, kind of showing you what's going on when the engine's running. This is a four cylinder engine, but um, pretty much picture, you can see right down here, here's like a V8 engine. You see these pistons are pretty much like this, right? They go out separately. Um, that is the V shape of the engine. So when you turn the key in your vehicle through a series of processes and different um, modules and different electrical circuits, basically what happens is the starter kicks out when you complete a circuit by the key, right? The key completes a circuit in the ignition cylinder and then through the computer, which is powered by the 12 volt battery, it goes down to the starter and it tells the starter to kick a little gear out. So picture like a little gear, it goes out to a bigger gear on the back of the engine right here. You see what's turning? That would be your flywheel or your flex plate. Um, flywheels are on manual transmission vehicles, 
um, flex plates are on automatic transmission vehicles, but it's it's almost like a distinction, not a difference. Don't really get caught up on the minutiae there. It just kind of is what it is. Um, so whenever that starter kicks out, it, it hits the uh, flywheel and then it starts turning, right? So when that gear starts turning, the engine starts turning as well. So that's why when you hear that, what they call cranking, the engine is turning over. So as that's turning over, there's also fuel being sprayed out of the fuel injectors into the cylinder. So in that cylinder, you have pistons moving up and down. Well, when you spray gas in that cylinder, it has to go somewhere, right? So when you spray that gas into the cylinder, you have what's called a spark plug, which ignites that fuel and air mixture. And when that fuel and air mixture ignites, it explodes and causes the piston to move down, right? So um, that explosion needs what's called the stoichiometric ratio, which the ideal air to fuel ratio is 14.7 to 1. Um, theoretical air to fuel ratio mixture for a gasoline fueled engine for complete gasoline fuel combustion, the stoichiometric air to fuel ratio is about 14.7 to 1. In order to completely burn one kilogram of gasoline fuel, the combustion process needs about 14.7 kilograms of air. So when you have that air to fuel mixture, basically what's going to happen is, like I was saying earlier, that's going to get forced into there by fuel injectors. Or if it's like an older vehicle, carburetor or a throttle body injected vehicle, um, the air and fuel gets put in through the throttle body and then it gets trickled down to the top of the engine, the cylinder heads, right? And there's valves on top of there. The valves open. And then when those valves open, the air and fuel go in and then they're ignited to cause the pistons to go down, right? So um, now what causes those valves to open that allow gas fuel or fuel and gas interchangeable terms <laughs> and air to get in there that's opened by what's called the camshaft now there's two camshafts on most four-cylinder engines because they're what's called dual overhead cam um on like a v8 engine i don't know if there's a picture i probably should have got this pulled up before i started recording but you know what are you going to do um on a v8 engine there is push rods which um are rotated by the camshaft and they push on rocker arms, right? So the rocker arms are kind of like a lever. Um, when the camshaft turns, the camshaft pushes on the rocker arm and the rocker arm pushes down on the valve, which has a spring on it to open that valve to allow the air and fuel in. So um, the engine also has four strokes to run, it, right? And I can hear everybody laughing because we're all children and it is kind of funny. Um, <laughs> uh, basically what happens is the piston the first stroke is intake right so the piston comes down and i'm moving my arm down for all the people who are listening um the piston gets moved down to suck in air and fuel right that's your first stroke intake the second stroke is what's called compression so it wants to, the engine goes back up right the piston's going back up and compresses that air and fuel together as much as possible, then you have your exhaust stroke or take pressure power or power. I'm sorry. Um, the power stroke is when the um, spark plug ignites, right? So the air and fuel gets ignited and it drives the piston back down, right? So expanding gases is what keeps the engine moving. 
So this is why all the different pistons in an engine have to be kind of running count or, you know, at different rates. So the piston gets forced back down on the power stroke because that's the power that's getting put out of the engine from the air and fuel ratio um, to the air and fuel getting ignited. The power stroke goes down and then you have your exhaust stroke, right? So the exhaust valve opens and then the piston goes back up and it drives all the exhaust gases, the byproducts of combustion out of the engine. That's a pretty rough way and, you know, perhaps for some in-depth way of kind of explaining how an engine runs. So you have intake, compression, power, exhaust. Um, this is the way it works on your fuel-injected, carbureted, and throttle body-injected vehicles. They have a new technology. It's been out for probably like 20 years on gas engines, but um, it originated on diesel engines. And I'm not a diesel guy. Don't ask me anything about diesels. I don't know diesels. I hate diesels. <laughs> um, just a little personal bias there. Um, direct injection actually shoots the gas in. It's inserted right into the cylinder head rather than up on like a throttle body or on like an intake. Um, the injectors right on the side of the cylinder head and it actually shoots fuel in at much higher pressures um, on the power or on the compression stroke so that way it gets a lot more fuel in there and then you know it's supposed to be better for gas mileage um a little side tangent there but um most vehicles are direct injected now but just for uh, simplicity's sake once again you have intake compression power exhaust that runs an engine so um, once this whole process is done, you have what's called a torque converter, right? Let's pull that up here. Wow, I'm an idiot. Torque converter. Um, torque converter or like a flywheel. And basically this thing here is bolted to the back of an engine or back, you know, bolted to the flywheel or the flex plate. And as this turns, this allows the different parts of the transmission to turn as well. And then that goes to your drive shaft, which goes your rear wheel, rear wheels, or in a front wheel drive transmission, it goes to the axles or which are inserted into the transmission, which has, you know, basically like a or whole differential inside of it. Um, so you have your intake compression power exhaust, which turns the engine, the pistons move, and then the pistons moving turns the engine, which turns your torque converter. And as the torque converter turns, the transmission does everything that's going to do. I'm not going to break that down because that's super, super complicated. And I'm not even um, fully knowledgeable on that. Like I am, but I personally have not really rebuilt too many of them. Um, and then, you know, that's what kind of gets your wheels to turn, right? So anyways, kind of touching on that kind of touches on kind of what makes your vehicle move sort of very, very roughly. So the second question I have here is why do we have to do maintenance on a vehicle? Um, Christ, stop the uh, screen share here. Um, so why do we have to do maintenance on a vehicle? Well, I'm sure everybody has seen those commercials of sludge or, you know, you've seen bald tires, you're at a stoplight and somebody's spinning freaking tires or you watch the uh, drag cars, they go fire it up and they punch it. And, uh, you know, there's smoke everywhere. Um, you've seen people broken down on the side of the road. You've heard people sitting there turned over their engine, does turn. Um, we have to do maintenance on vehicles so that way the wearable components 
last longer or you um you replace those parts that are wearable and um you know you replace them with better parts or parts that aren't any longer worn so during the intake compression power and exhaust the running of the engine what happens is is that there's rings on the side of the pistons which are the things that move up and down in the cylinder uh, there's blow by right so pretty much picture um like a pump right something that you would push and then things would come out the other side well an engine pretty much is a pump right if you kind of take the explanation that I've given you, um, you can kind of logically deduce that it is a form of a pump. Well, this pump is not perfectly sealed. Um, over time, that piston moving up and down the cylinder is going to wear, right? So the cylinder walls, the rings, the pistons themselves are going to wear down the piston or the uh, cylinder walls inside the engine where the pistons are, are going to get bigger. The pistons may get smaller. The rings on the side of the piston, which are responsible for sealing combustion, are going to get worn down. The oil control rings, which keeps oil um, out of the combustion area and in the oil pan and lubricating all the engine parts, um, there's going to be gas that breaks down and gets down to that oil, byproducts of combustion that get down in there and eventually cause wear and tear on the engine and um, will no longer sufficiently lubricate the inner workings of the engine. Um, so why is all this important? Um, as blow-by and everything happens, um, you're going to need to change that oil. You're going to have to dispose of it so that way you can replace it with new oil with sufficient lubricating properties. Um, so as you drive a vehicle all over the place, um, once again, you're going to get it warm. There's going to be blow-by, different gasolines, and air to fuel is going to burn inside that engine. And then those byproducts of combustion are going to leak down past the pistons and get down into the oil and therefore make it necessary for you to change the oil and get all that bad stuff out of there. So you can put in oil that is more fit to lubricate the engine. Um, so once you do that, now you put new oil in there and now your engine's going to be good to go for another 3,000 to some engines even may say like 10,000 miles. Personally, I think 10,000 is a little excessive, but, you know, read your owner's manual and your vehicle, which nobody does, and uh, it'll kind of give you a better timeline. Um, so that's why you have to change your oil. And well, why do I have to pay so much for oil and why do I have to pay for an oil filter? Well, as different things kind of run through the engine, um, there's going to be a little part um, particulates and different things that get into the oil and the oil filter is just going to catch, right? It's a filter, kind of like our noses are filters for germs and stuff like that. Although if you ask people now, you put on a mask because our nose, you know, you can't have anything going through there, but that's a whole, whole different podcast. Um, the oil filter is just going to filter out all the bad stuff that could potentially harm the engine it's going to get caught in there so you want to take off that oil filter and replace it with a new one that's why whenever you do an oil change you get rid of all the old oil you get rid of the oil filter you put a new oil filter on there you dump the oil on it and you're good to go for a little bit longer does that kind of make sense if not once again just shoot me a message um, i'll do whatever i can to kind of clarify this for you i think that's pretty simple pretty basic um now what about tires right those black round things that are on all your wheels and that cost a whole fuck ton to replace and sometimes wear unevenly. And sometimes you get a little annoying light on your dash telling you, Hey asshole, you didn't fill it up. You have one lower than another. 
um, tires are where the rubber meets the road, right? It's a literal giant thing of rubber that um, is on the wheels, which are turned by, once again, your transmission, your engine, your rear end, the axles, whatever. Um, those turn and those cause friction against the road so that way you can move. Well, over time, as you're driving, you know, I'm sure everybody has done it before, and especially if you live here in Pennsylvania where the roads suck and we have salt, snow, all that bullshit. Um, you hit the gas pretty hard and then you're spinning, right? Well, your tires can't grip to the surface, so therefore they need replaced. Well, they also have certain oils and different substances in them that kind of give them a little bit more stickiness, right? Um as you drive, tires are going to wear down because they can no longer maintain the same traction that they once did. We measure tires in a measurement that's called 30 seconds, which are 30 seconds of an inch. Um, here in Pennsylvania, we have state inspection standards, which are um, the state minimum for tires are 230 seconds. That's very, very low. You'll know if your tires are 230 seconds because you won't be able to go nowhere. I mean, it's a little bit hyperbolic, but you know, anytime you hit the uh, gas, you're spinning your tires. So um, your tires are going to need to replace, and it's a whole ton of money. Personally, when it comes to tires, I like most American manufacturers with the exception of like Goodyear's. Um, so that's BFG, BF Goodrich, right? Firestone, Bridgestone, Michelin. Michelin's are a little bit softer, but they ride really nice. Uniroyals, um, Coopers are okay. A lot of the foreign tires I'm not that big on. I know some people like Nittos. Um, there's just my personal preferences. Um, Handcooks, Primewells, those are kind of junky. They're real cheap. Um, Sumitomas are pretty cheap. But, um, you know, it just all depends on your budget, what you're willing to spend and how much you want to uh, do on maintenance for your vehicle. Um, the other thing about tires is that need to be rotated. So you have four tires, obviously, right? Or unless you drive like a dually truck and you have six. Um, tires should be rotated front to back so that way they wear evenly um some vehicles are all-wheel drive some vehicles are front-wheel drive some vehicles are rear-wheel drive most trucks are four-wheel drive and typically you only use two-wheel drive most of the time unless you're in like a situation where your rear wheels cannot move the vehicle you're going to put it into four-wheel drive to get all four, all four wheels turning so that way you can get out of wherever you're stuck um front wheel drive vehicles it's the front wheels moving the vehicle so if you're looking at your vehicle those front wheels are going to be what's pulling the vehicle forward so you want to rotate those front tires to the back from time to time um usually like every other oil change or depending on your driving habits maybe every oil change to make sure that you're getting the most life out of your tires um obviously every time you take it to service your technician should kind of monitor the wear on your tires and tell you, you know, hey, they're wearing unevenly or you need to rotate them more. Um, your technician that's working on your vehicle should kind of tell you what's going on with them and just keep you informed as to the condition of your tires. If they're wearing unevenly, then you need to do what's called an alignment, right? And there's a couple different dimensions. I won't break it down too much, but you have caster, camber, toe, which are basically just the different ways that your tires are kind of lined up in your vehicle. Um, whenever you replace your tires, you should always, always, always have your vehicle aligned just so that way your tires are wearing um, as evenly as possible and always refer to your manufacturer's recommended pounds per square inch psi on your tires just to make sure that they're filled sufficiently so that way they don't wear unevenly either so um every oil change every other oil change you're going to want to uh, rotate your tires just to make sure that you're getting the best and um 
best wear out of your tires and the most life out of them as well. Um, now, brakes, this is another wear component, right? Brakes are the things that stop your vehicle. So you have two pedals, or if you drive a manual vehicle, then you have a third. Um, you have your gas pedal, which some people's an on and off switch. <laughs> it's not. Um, and you have your brakes. Well, your brakes in most vehicles now are what are called disc brakes. So you have a rotor, which turns with the wheels and the tires, and those are stopped with what's called a caliper. So whenever you hit the brakes, right, you push your foot down on the pedal, you need to stop. Um, there are calipers that have brake pads, right? Those are things that wear down. The brake pads are pushed out by a piston inside the caliper and they grab the rotor, which is turning with the wheels and tires to slow down the vehicle. Um, some people probably experienced the phenomena of the entire vehicle shaking like freaking crazy whenever you um, press the brakes. Well, that means that your rotors, which are the things that stop the vehicle along with the brake pads are now warped and therefore they either need cut or they need replaced. Most of the time now, um, by the time it's time to replace your pads, you're just gonna replace your rotors anyways, because they're junk and you know there may not be enough to cut. Um, so that being said, um, some vehicles are really good on brakes, some vehicles aren't. Um, trucks, you may need to replace them a little bit more just because you gotta think there's more mass to the vehicle, the vehicle weighs more. So you're gonna have to put a little bit more, um, you know, there's gonna be more wear on those pads. Those pads are gonna have to do a lot more work to stop the vehicle. Um, so I cannot give prescriptions on how often to replace brakes whenever a technician rotates your tires or anything like that they should be inspecting the brakes just to make sure that everything looks good and that your vehicle's safe to drive and that um you know everything's wearing evenly and if things aren't wearing evenly well let's address why is there something not lubricated properly is a caliper hung up um, let's find out what's going on here and fix that um i think that kind of breaks down a lot of it um if there, if you guys are interested in this kind of stuff, maybe next time I could have on a few guests and have people ask me questions. We kind of break down some of the stuff a little bit more in detail. Um, it's not something I talk about a lot just because I don't think people really care that much about automotive stuff. Maybe I'm wrong. If this gets a lot of downloads or gets good feedback, then by all means, I'll talk about it some more. And I would love to help everybody and keep everybody as informed as possible on this kind of stuff. Um, Everybody thinks you're getting ripped off by technicians. And in my personal experience, I really do not think that is the case as much as people want to believe. I think there's a lot of good people out there who are technicians and they're trying to make a living. We are paid what's called flat rate, which is where you're paid by the job, which means that you have to perform work to get paid, right? You don't just go in, punch in and get paid. You're paid to produce, right? You have to work your butt off and you're quoted a certain time to finish a job now let's say to replace brakes in my shop it pays two hours um if that brake job pay if i get that brake job done in a half hour then i still get paid two hours now if that brake job takes me let's say four hours then i still then i still only get paid two hours because that's what the job is quoted at whatever the job is quoted at which is generally dictated by a third party um all data mitchell or the manufacturer or sometimes shops just have their own labor times um that's what I get paid. Um, now, there are obviously gray areas with that sometimes where you get into some diagnostic stuff, check engine lights, wiring issues, um, water leaks, what have you. Um, those may pay a little bit more and it may be like kind of a straight time deal where it's kind of like, all right, well, whatever you have into it, 
is what you get paid. Those are a lot more nuanced, but for the most part, it's like, okay, well, two hours for brakes, two hours for tires, three tenths for an oil change, three tenths of an hour, um, three tenths for a tire rotation, um, kind of pays out like that. Um, air filters and cabin filters, I just remembered this, um, should be changed as well. The air filter is the filter for all air going into the engine. Um, those should be replaced, I think, every like 20 to 35,000 miles, depending on your driving habits, um, every like two to three years. Obviously, if your technician's working on the vehicle, he may try to upsell you it. Um, it's generally just good to look at them. And if you hold the air filter up to light and you can't see light through it, then it's probably time to change it. Cabin filters are the filters that are generally behind the glove box and filter all the air that's coming into the vehicle and like blowing on you for your AC or your, um, for your heat. Those filters should be changed every like 10 to 15,000 miles every year, year and a half, because that actually filters your air that's coming in to the vehicle and those get dirtier a lot faster. Um, that's kind of my recommendations on vehicle stuff. Once again, if anybody has any questions about automotive related stuff, I'd love to help you out. Um, I personally do not do any side work myself. I try not work on vehicles outside of my job time. But um, yeah, if you have questions about vehicle maintenance, my personal recommendations on vehicles, um, I'd be glad to help you out. I am, as you can see here, I have the SS with a piston <laughs> tattooed on my arm and a uh, firing order for Chevy small block. Um, I'm a big General Motors fan. I drive a Cobalt. My fiance drives a Terrain. She has a Cobalt as well. And I have a 1984 Monte Carlo. Um, GM like runs in my blood. My grandfather had 14 Corvettes. My dad has the last one my grandfather ever had. He also has the last one my grandfather's brother my great uncle had it's a 1984 or in yeah, i think 1984 1986 corvette it only has 1600 miles on it um it's really cool to see two corvettes that are the last ones that you know his father my grandfather and his uncle my great uncle had owned um we're just big gm guys so personally my bias is for General Motors vehicles, and obviously because I've worked on them for 10 years for the most part, minus my little stints in independence and tire shops. Um, other than that, if you guys have questions about vehicles, just kind of hit me up and I'll do what I can to answer and uh, give you recommendations on personally what I think. Um, yeah, I hope this helps. I hope you walk away with a little bit more than you kind of came in with. As always with all these podcasts, um, I know this isn't necessarily, um, necessarily libertarianism or health related, but I feel like this information should be put out there in a hopefully easily digestible way and from somebody that you know and hopefully enjoy listening to. So um, I appreciate everybody listening. I really appreciate the support. Um, the podcast is really growing and I've had absolutely phenomenal guests, people that I really, really respect, people that I really, really admire. And hopefully we can keep doing this into the future and hopefully I get many, many more guests that I respect and admire. And hopefully the show grows and um, we can really spread the message of liberty and health. And <laughs> who knows, maybe some automotive knowledge in there as well. So um, I want to thank everybody for listening. 
Um, pay attention in the next month. I got so many cool shows coming up that I think everybody's really going to enjoy, whether you're just here for the health stuff or for the Liberty stuff or a little bit of both. Um, subscribe, like, share, whatever. Five-star ratings really help me out. And um, until next time, everybody, take care. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.